Well, hello and welcome to episode number 415 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, uh, off this Airbus is uh, off on its longest yet pressurised tube. Uh, big pay rises, Americans' regional carriers and Irish business aviation gets a huge boost with a new oversight agency. In the military news this week, the US Navy and Marine Corps take an operations pause after a series of mishaps. The new German F-35s are headed to Buchel Air Air Base and Sweden is set to get some second-hand C-130Js. So joining me this week is not Mr Bounds, unfortunately, uh, as he is on vacation on the French Riviera drinking the finest Pinot Grigio known to man. And also Matt is not with us this week on the show, as you can probably uh, see. Matt, unfortunately, has had to... uh, go and do his his radio duties over on uh, park radio so he's uh, over there on park in t- entertaining everyone with some 80s music uh this week so uh, if you fancy that you know go and have a listen to matt on park radio uh but armando is also flying he was going to be with us tonight but unfortunately he has had a last literally last minute flight come in literally about five seconds before we're going to go live. So Armando is busy flying, but we have got two super subs joining me this week on the show. And uh, the first super sub we have joining us on the show this week is uh, a regular on the show. He's been uh, on quite a few times now. He was also uh, with us at the uh, 400th show, and he also is a captain for a large European airline flying the Airbus A320. Welcome on to the show. It's Matt. Being Carlos, thanks very much for having us on once again. As uh, always, an absolute pleasure. So, how have things uh, been with you, then, Matt? Obviously, it's uh, it's been one of those busy times with the uh, obviously the summer seasons kicking off, flights are starting to build up. I'm, I'm guessing you must be up to full capacity now. Oh yeah, busy, busy, busy. No days off, and uh, lots of uh, full flights, which uh, of course is is good good signs of recovery there's certainly lots of demand out there which is uh, what we like to see certainly excellent and also joining us this week on mm. the show is another amazing super sub who was also a guest and a guest special vip speaker at our 400th and it gives me great pleasure to welcome back onto the show everyone's favorite engine tech Aww. person it is of course is peter collins Oh, well, that, I mean, what an introduction, man. I mean, I'm, <laughs> my head will get too big. These headphones will fly off. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to be back. I, I love, uh, you know, working with you guys. It's fantastic. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you, Peter, for joining us. And uh, again, to you, I'm guessing things have, um, have been on the busy scale for you in the last few months. Yeah, yeah there's been um, obviously everything that's happened over the last uh, sort of uh, few months and years. A lot of... Uh, movement things changing around people buying airplanes so yeah i've been keeping pretty busy really so it's good stuff oh excellent excellent it's good i do i do keep obviously following you on social media and every time i check you're at some some other (laughs) airport within uk or europe somewhere poking screwdrivers into engines and um and stuff like that yeah that's right luton lovely stuff (laughs) but yeah around and about yeah definitely a lot of m25 uh, sitting there looking at the world go by in the world's largest car park so have you um have you uh, been poking around any of uh our other hosts tonight matt any of his uh favorite aircraft the a320s 
Uh, yeah, quite a few uh, boroscope inspections, Airbus A320, yeah, pretty regular stuff really, so ah, good. So you're, you're safe to go, Matt, now? You, 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 can, you can fly? Excellent, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got loads of uh, stuff to get through on tonight's show, uh, but we're going to have, say, a quick uh, hello to everyone in the live YouTube chat room this evening. I'm going to go run through uh, all the people in there this evening. Joining us, Richard Adams, hello to you. Uh, Mazus Kareem is also in there, hello to you as well. Alan White, Alan's in there, good to see you. GB's Model Zone, hello. Our main man, Micah, Uncle Micah's in there, wielding his blue spanner of death, ready to take out anyone, uh, any bots that jump into the chat room this week. Uh, Masha, hello to you. I'm scrolling down. Arnie, hello to you, Arnie Carlson. Hello to you, hope you're well. He's... um, um, he's Possum Town using Starlink. Um, Arnie's using Starlink, which I think we've all talked about on the show here at some point in time. Have you heard of Starlink, uh, Peter? This uh, this new sort of internet. Yeah, thing? yes, interesting, really, and yet another way of uh, well getting uh, fast internet. Sounds it, good. Yeah, so it's good. It's good. Richard Adams, hello to you. John Jester as well. He's uh, he's an ORD. Uh, hello to you as well. Next to ORD. Uh, we've got Matt C. <laughs> Hello to you. Uh, we've got... Scrolling down, make sure I don't miss anyone out. No, I don't think I've missed anyone out. Hopefully not. But hello, welcome everyone who's joined us on the show tonight. Don't forget, if you are listening to the show as an audio podcast and you want to uh, to tune in and watch us on YouTube to see us all in glorious, uh, fine, high-definition HD and see what we look like in, in, in the real human form, <laughs> you can take yourselves over to YouTube, search us on there, Plain Talking UK, and don't forget to click on that subscribe button and the bell icon to be notified every time we are live and broadcasting a new show. Uh, because we'd love to have you in the chat room with us having a chat with all the chat room family uh, as you can probably tell i am um, halfway or nearly three quarters of the way through another blooming cold that's the second cold i've had now in the last month so i'm doing quite well at the moment with uh, the old great uh, great british colds had a week away in Devon last week, which was really nice down uh, down south. And it was a fantastic week off, but it was it was the weather was a bit changeable, and it was we were in a, in a valley surrounded by trees with a big lake going through, and it was a little bit damp. So I think I may have picked up the picked up the bug there somewhere, but. Um, Oh dear, I don't know. But it is it's glorious weather today here in the UK. Thirty four, I think we reached today. Am I right, guys? I know. Yeah, yeah I know, Matt. Yeah. You're the other side of the country, but it's thereabouts. You hot over your way as well. Yeah, yeah. I think my car said thirty three today or something like Ooh. that. Ooh. So yeah, it's not that humid though. So um, normally it's quite humid, isn't it? But it's not been too humid today. That's probably to come, I would imagine. Right, so we've got loads of news to get through. So if everyone's ready, shall we do some commercial news? Mm-hmm. Let's go. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. So, Matt, the first story is with you this week. 
Yes, uh, one close to my heart. Uh, so this one is Airbus embarks on the A321 XLR flight test campaign with Maiden Sortie. And this comes from flightglobal.com. So Airbus has commenced a flight test campaign for its long range A321 XLR variant after the initial prototype lifted off from Hang- uh, Hamburg Finkenwerder. Uh, the aircraft, powered by its CFM International Leap 1A engines, took off at about 11.05 on the 15th of June. It's carrying a crew of five, comprising two experimental test pilots and three test engineers, who aim to check the XLR's flight controls, engines and systems, such as flight envelope protection at various speeds. Airbus intends the aircraft to enter service in early 2024, offering carriers a range of up to 4,700 nautical miles. The XLR is the latest version of the A321neo twin jet line. The first test aircraft, MSN 11000, was rolled out in its paint scheme in May. While Airbus has already developed a long-range variant of the A321neo, known as the A321LR, the XLR will further enhance range capability. It will feature a substantial modification of its fuel system with the inclusion of a large aft centre tank. Airbus initially unveiled the XLR at the Paris Air Show in June 2019 and structural assembly of the jet began last year. So very exciting stuff uh, for those of us in the Airbus world. Uh, it's quite a big uh, increase. I think the A321LR has a range of about 4,000 nautical miles. So uh, the XLR adds about 700 miles onto that range. So, um, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. So- Opening up some uh, interesting routes, I guess, for uh, carriers that will be having this, this aircraft type. So do you think the uh, the airline that you fly for, Matt, will uh, will purchase some of these, or do you not think the routes that you've got? Will um, be... I don't think so initially, no. I don't believe so. Um, there's obviously JetBlue are already flying across the pond with it, um, and I believe that this will open up the ability for more airlines to do so. Of course, because uh, you can fly it with an A320 family rating, so you can go effectively long haul with with the same rating so the costs are much lower on a smaller aircraft like this it could could be very uh attractive to a lot of airlines out there i'm sure uh, pete will tell you i was going to say pete mm. will know that uh, <clears throat> these leap 1a engines are, are fantastic with their fuel efficiency and this extra range the costs are going to be significantly lower compared to a much larger aircraft because of the smaller yeah. engines absolutely right yeah the um the leap engine with its uh taps uh twin axular premix swirler nitrous oxide emissions down i forget the exact amount something like 14 percent more efficient 13 14 something like that it's really good i was going to, actually going to say peter what are your thoughts on um we, we talk about it on the show quite a bit but what are your thoughts on this the whole kind of um long range narrow body kind of flights you know i mean i mean a lot of people have said mm. it. it doesn't you know it doesn't really bother them what um what aircraft they're on if they're going long haul you know as long as the seat is comfortable it doesn't matter you know t- uh, twin yeah. aisle or single aisle i mean you'd be surprised a lot of the aircraft that have existed for quite some time have always had on paper the capability to fly a certain distance there's the e-tops and everything else extended being able to work over um, vast areas of water 
And of course, the gas turbine engine, you know, really quite low wear and tear, uh, pretty much. And, you know, if you've got more than one engine as well, there's reliability there. So it's not something new, really, um, having twin engine aircraft flying over long distance. And uh, the routes are always very carefully chosen. So I think it's certainly the way forward. And if you get that weight mass balance uh, thing and uh, number of passengers on board right, you maximise efficiency. So uh, so, think, so uh, as a passenger, a Peter, as yeah. a passenger, you you wouldn't you wouldn't mind going over to the states on a on a on a three twenty one. Nah, I mean I I love them. I think they're great. You know, obviously I work with them inspection wise, but uh, um, no, I'd have no problems with that at all. I know one particular host who would have problems with that. <laughs> He's not here, though. <laughs> anyway, move on to the next story. This one is uh, come to us from simpleflying.com and cnbc.com. And it says here, big pay rises for pilots at two American Airlines-owned regional carriers. So pilots for f- uh, two American Airlines-owned regional carriers will enjoy massive, and they say the word massive, pay rises after senior management moved to stem resignations. Maryland-based Piedmont Airlines and Texas-based Envoy Air are increasing pilot pay in some cases by almost, check this, 90% to keep Mm. existing pilots loyal and attract new recruits. Simple Flying says Envoy uh, Envoy Air operates more than 150 Embraer jets on American Airlines regional routes. According to a CNBC report, Envoy employs around 2,000 pilots and loses roughly 80 pilots a year to other carriers while recruiting around 60 new pilots annually. So their pilot pool is steadily shrinking. In particular, strong demand are Envoy Air captains. Uh, Envoy Air announced a new agreement with Airline Pilots Association Alpa, which includes a 6% increase in pilot pay rate for first officers and a 10% pay increase for captains. Additionally, Envoy pilots will receive a pilot supply premium of 50% added to their hourly rate until August 2024. Meanwhile, the Piedmont camp struck a similar deal, the airline increasing its first-year captain's pay uh, from $78 US per hour to $146 uh, US per hour, an increase of 87%, and the first-year officer's pay from $51 per hour to $90 per hour, a 76% pay rise. The increase uh, comes outside of the contract amendable date and includes a contract extension from 2024 to 2029. Piedmont uh, flies around 50 Embraer ERJ-145 jets on American Airlines regional routes and CEO Eric Morgan told CNBC he was losing approximately 25 pilots a month to American Airline mainline operations and could not hire enough replacements to cover them. Consequently, Piedmont Airlines has grounded 10 MRIs simply because they don't have the workforce to fly them. So, pilots pay. Obviously, Matt, you obviously fly for a large airline here in Europe. Um, I mean, obviously, you can see there what the pay is like there. Is, is, is the pay a lot better in the US as opposed to what it is here in the UK? Well, it's hard to judge, really, because generally we're paid uh, an annual salary um, in Europe, so we don't really equate it to um, an hourly rate. So it's pretty hard to judge, to be honest. But I think historically the pay has been less in the US, um, certainly for regional carriers. 
legacy carriers and long hauls been significantly more than the than Europe. So, um, yeah, depends really on 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 the airline. And what do you uh, what do you think about this, Peter, with the pay rises? Well, it's, it's incredible, really. I mean, I have to be honest. I've got friends who've lost jobs, uh, been made redundant, and. I mean, clearly, yeah. There's, there's, there is obviously there's a point they've got to now where, um, you know, if they're desperate for staff, it's it's a very fluid time. And but it, it, that's the aviation industry per se, isn't it? It's always going to be volatile. There'll be good times and there'll be uh, difficult times. Um, well, I mean, if the pay has gone up, then okay, that's a good thing. But will others uh, fall into suit and actually value their staff, value their highly qualified, highly trained? pilots you know uh, because at the moment certainly people thinking of training to be a pilot a lot of people are being put off because of uh, certain cost-cutting strategies that take place so i I think uh, decent pay packages are a good thing i think Hmm. and uh in the uk two airlines in the last couple of weeks have just proposed similar ones uh nearly 10 percent. the other one is 10 percent pay rises so um i think uh Airlines are in a situation where they're trying to attract the the best staff or they're worried that um, there's a couple of big airlines that are recruiting quite heavily or about to start recruiting heavily. And I think airlines are concerned that these big brand airlines are about to recruit are going to take away all of their, their staff or their talent. So they're incentivizing people to stay with uh, these pay rises. So it'll be interesting to see see what happens there. Hmm. Especially with the whole industry, not just pilots. I think it's it's across the whole board. I think with um, growing staff and that. I, I went to a to a recruitment fair not so long back at Norwich Airport just to have a look and see what things were about there. And um, I found out what their their pay was there at uh, not Norwich International Airport, um, and I was quite shocked. I'm not going to lie at what their pay was, their starting pay was for, um, you know, ramp operators and, and, and you know, ground, ground crew and stuff. It was it was quite an eye-opener, I will mm. say. This is a, a European problem as well. I, I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world, but I flew to Amsterdam the other day and they said that they were cancelling flights due to lack of ground staff. I went to Berlin last week and when the dispatcher came on they said i'm afraid we're going to be delayed because we're short of staff and i said oh which area of staff are you short of and they said every area from <laughs> check-in to security to gate staff ground handlers baggage handlers tug drivers literally across the board they were short so it seems to be a, a significant issue across europe maybe it, it looks like maybe it's the same in the u.s as well is it the same for your for the particular job you do, uh, Peter? Is that is that quite you know short of, of um, people? It's not not exactly the same. I would say um, there's been a few companies that have sort of let people go, but I, I don't think it is uh, certainly in my experience the same. Um, you know, um, there's been there's certainly been a lot of moving around and retraining, and companies trying to slim things down whenever there's a movement of or attrition of, of uh, changing numbers of personnel. You have to retrain people to do the engine ground runs. You have to retrain people to do the boroscope inspections and so on. Um, 
just reminded me actually of that um, story. Which one was it? The, was it first officer or captain loading the uh, cargo so the plane could go that had been delayed? You see that? I saw that. I saw that on yeah. social media this week. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So uh, the next story is uh, um, actually coming to us from Armando. And uh, I shall just grab that in there, as Matt would do. I don't know how Matt does all this, honestly. And uh, Armando's got a story for us this week. And uh, it's all about the IBGAA. Formed in September of 2020 and formally introduced last month at the 2022 European Business Aviation Convention and Exhibition, the Irish, the Irish Business and General Aviation Association is hard at work building international relationships and expanding the knowledge and understanding of the role of general aviation and business aviation throughout the Emerald Isle. According to the group's projects, the noted uh, executive director, Joe Buckley, he's crafting a roadmap for the industries developed to be presented to Irish government officials later this year. This is emphasizing the business aviation's role in supporting companies with operations in Ireland and the country's burgeoning uh, tourism market. He said that governments are not always aware of the importance of business aviation to their countries and economies. Uh, One of the founding members of the IBGAA, along with Josh Stewart and Dave Scully, these markets, they said that these markets drive the growth for Ireland's regional airports and in turn, the smaller communities that they serve. Other IBGAA priorities include attracting international companies to Ireland for entry into the European market, highlighting the advantages of the country's aircraft leasing market and the Irish Aviation Authority aircraft registry and education about new aviation technologies driving greater efficiency and sustainability. The IBGAA has a seat on the International Business Aviation Council and is also part of the European Business Aviation Association Advocacy Committee and the Council for the European Business Aviation Associations. They said that international credibility and collaboration is extremely important, as we've seen throughout our successful efforts to establish U.S. Customs and Border Protection pre-clearance for business aircraft at Shannon Airport. That's according to Buckley. Plans are also underway for IBGAA's first conference in November. This is another important step towards building those international uh, relationships, Buckley said. He said that uh, they're expecting to welcome between 150 to 200 delegates to Ander Manor, in Limerick, offering these senior decision makers, aircraft owners and operators, and anyone to network and build these relationships in a relaxed environment. Noting Ireland's historic role as a vital aviation hub dating back to the earliest days of international passenger air travel, Doug Carr, NBAA's Senior Vice President for Safety, Security, Sustainability and International Affairs, said that IBGAA presents another important voice in advocating for business aviation. This is very important for the country of Ireland as business aviation post-pandemic continues to grow, as is evidenced with the aircraft behind me, the aircraft that I fly. Uh, Business aviation is just an incredible growth sector, and I'm glad to see that the Irish are getting in on it and also establishing the formal processes and organizations to uh, generate interest and business in this segment of aviation. And thank you, Armando, for that. Honestly, the guy always has the best backdrops, doesn't he? Every time he does a recording. I hadn't actually heard of the IBGAA. Anyone else? No. No? News on me. (laughs) No, news on me. 
I mean, I know business aviation. Well, business aviation is is, is quite big at, at a, a couple of the you know the airports here in your Big and Hill and Farnborough. I know has a lot of uh, business jet aviation mm. in. But I thought I thought there was quite a lot of business stuff that that flew into um, into Shannon. Matt, you got any um, thoughts on that? I think any any projects that are helping uh, boost any part of aviation can only be a good thing, can't it? Mm. So. Mm. yeah so yeah absolutely so yeah. peter you've got the mm. uh you've got the next story and uh yes. it's all it's all it's just, this is a good one for you this is all to do with tech stuff <clears throat> oh <laughs> so yeah we've got uh one web in flight alio broadband test hits 260 megabits per second on a boeing triple seven this is from ispreview.co.uk so british British registered OneWeb, which is partly owned by the UK Gov and building a global constellation of low Earth orbit based ultra fast, low latency broadband satellites, has worked with commercial aviation terminal partner Stellar Blue Solutions to successfully test in flight connectivity aboard a Boeing 777 200LR plane. The company has already launched 428 of their small around 150 kilogram low earth orbit based ultra fast uh, 100 megabits per second plus and low latency sub 100 milliseconds broadband satellites into space that's a lot of satellites orbiting at an altitude of around 1200 kilometers and their initial plan is to build a constellation of 648 588 are needed for coverage the rest for redundancy which is enough for a reasonable level of global coverage the rollout of this constellation has faced delays due to Russia's war with the Ukraine, but they expect to resume launches later this year. In the meantime, other avenues of development are getting brought forward. OneWeb and Stellar Blue partnered with antenna technology provider Ball Aerospace to incorporate its electronically steered arrays. They have recently conducted a successful test of their in-flight Sidewinder platform aboard a Boeing 777-200LR that took off from Fort Worth Alliance Airport in Texas. The new Sidewinder terminal is ARINC 791 compliant to ease integration on commercial aircraft, with a smaller form factor option for installation on regional jets and single aisle airliners. The test flight crew simultaneously demonstrated the ability to connect Microsoft Teams calls, conduct 4K YouTube streaming, Netflix, online VR gaming and Nintendo Switch gaming, among other structured performance tests. Maximum speeds of 260 millibits per second download and 80 megabits per second upload were achieved all while operating well under 100 milliseconds of latency. By comparison, a lot of existing in-flight satellite solutions tend to supply capacity of 50 to 100 megabits per second to the aircraft, while latency times can be in the highly variable 600 to 4,000 milliseconds territory. But that's on a good system. Some older platforms are much worse. The test flight was the first of several that will occur through the rest of uh, 2022. The flight highlighted the advancement in performance of the antenna technology and verified the reliability of the connectivity during taxi, takeoff, landing and typical aircraft flight manoeuvres. Assuming all continues to go well, then OneWeb will be aiming to achieve certification and availability in mid-2023. There we are. Mm. This is a quite a big thing with all the different companies now doing all this, um, you know, the, trying to, to get the best, the fastest um, mm-hmm. 
broadband or internet speed while you're on an aircraft. I have to say that the the BA flight that I took over to the US in December on um, on the triple uh, seven and mm. going out on the um, the three fifty. Um, mm. Actually, I thought the the speed was really good. Um, mm. Yeah, I managed. Mm. I, I I purchased the the you know an hour's worth of um, usage on BA. Mm. And I was able to really rapidly send pictures on WhatsApp mm. um, using using their um, and uh, and upload you know from people sending me stuff as well. So it changes the uh, enjoyment people have with the flight. I mean, a lot of people want to work, and there's a lot of people doing regular long haul travel. Well, soon get through the library of films and stuff. So, oh, although I must admit, I was on flight radar twenty four for quite a time. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. <laughs> Other apps are available. What yeah. what what do you what do you think about the uh, the whole kind of? I know um, the particular airline you fly for, Matt, doesn't have any Wi-Fi on board. But um, do you think that's something that you that you'd like to have on in the future? I don't know. I'm torn. Um, I think there's part of me that enjoys a few hours not being uh, linked to the outside world through the internet. <laughs> so. Um, Sometimes it's quite nice. I don't know. It depends how far we go down the future, isn't it? We've got everybody um, sending messages or creating TikToks or whatever it is that people do these days all the time. Um, I don't know. But I think, you know, from an um, operating point of view, it would be great if we have um, internet access that's fast enough that the aircraft can use it. So, you know, getting live weather pictures can be streamed up onto our display screens and things like that there's uh, lots of practical uses that can be used for it and uh like peter says you know the business traveler would uh, be able to get work done on those flights which i'm i'm sure would be be useful i mean i've never used the internet on a flight to be honest but i've heard announcements made or notes uh in your seat pockets and stuff that says you know don't use it for video calling or skype calling and things like that so there are generally at the moment restrictions to the use because like someone said in the chat uh you take that 200 odd um download speed and divide that by three four five hundred people depending on the aircraft uh it's not actually very much much bandwidth per person so it wouldn't take very much for it to to jam everybody up so yeah you won't have everybody you couldn't have about 400 people streaming PTUK on youtube on a friday night <laughs> no that i'd love to see if if anyone if anyone is on a flight but in the next whatever 12 months and they get a chance to watch us live on board an aircraft and can take a picture i want to see it there might be someone it. now yeah if if you're what if you're currently flying <laughs> on a commercial airline or watching this show via the internet on an aircraft, let us know. Email us, yeah. podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. There we go. <laughs> I'd love to, honestly, I'd love to see that. Perhaps I should try that next time I go long haul. I'll give it a go. So this next story uh, comes to us from the sportsbible.com. And uh, ex-Premier League footballer is now a Jet 2 pilot after retiring at age 27. 27 retiring what am i doing wrong anyway richard kell an english ex-professional footballer who had played or who's played midfielder for middlesbrough as well as scunthorpe and torquay left his sporting career behind at the age of 27 
The now 43-year-old has since revealed why he decided to ditch the pitch for the skies after suffering a devastating injury when he broke both of his legs. He reflected how he had just recovered from one of his broken legs and was struggling to get back to full fitness at Scunthorpe. When out of the blue, he ended up having uh, getting chatting to a pilot while waiting in the airport for a pre-season tour to Ireland. The former middle, uh, midfielder explained that on his return, he went to his nearest airport, Humberside, made initial inquiries and had completed around 10 or 15 hours training. However, he said his fitness returned, he signed a new contract, and his pilot training was put on the back burner for a time. Despite the apparent contrasting nature of the two professions, Kel noted how he found certain skills being a footballer were transferable to being a pilot. He said, I was analytical as a footballer and always wanted to learn more. Also, football gave him interpersonal skills. Being confined within the tin box of a cockpit at 35,000 feet means he must appreciate his co-pilots and the other crew who have, he has to interact with. Finally, he said, my overall touch and hand-eye coordination is a great attribute to have as a pilot, helping me significantly know when to apply power and rudder. However, Kel reflected how becoming a pilot was just as hard as becoming a footballer. Really? Uh, he said his chosen career was every bit as hard to get into as football and can be equally as competitive. However, he said, I failed to gain my commercial pilot's license. Um, I could still have gone and done something more mainstream and familiar. But he didn't want any niggling doubts on what ifs later on in life. He noted how aviation lasts you up till you're 60 or 65 and believes he's put his insurance money after the, his football retirement into good use. The former midfielder recommends that other players try and capitalise and think of your transition when things are going well rather than only thinking about an alternative career when in a difficult period. No matter whether dribbling a ball or steering an aircraft, Kel re reflected that he's always, always wanted uh, to do the job to the best of his ability. Ability. Now, I have absolutely zero interest in football, as most of the listeners of the show will know. Um, so I don't know who this person is. But uh, retiring at 27, becoming an air, uh, aircraft or an airliner pilot, I suppose it's, a, it's not a bad career move. I mean, you enjoy it, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not the uh, a unique story, is it? Um, there's a few famous people that have gone on to to fly for airlines wasn't there a, someone that was a famous from a band or something or a famous rugby player used to it was very early days of easyjet used to fly for them oh i think they were in that airline program yeah, weren't they yeah, back in the day that. can't remember who it was um there's a few rock stars out there isn't there hopefully the uh the chat room can help us out <laughs> they, they normally tend to matt they yeah tend to do, yeah <laughs> oh yeah so is, um, is this? Uh, are you going to go from being a pilot to a footballer then, Matt? Or? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 39 next week, so I think I'm quite early on in my football career. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Peter? Go from uh, go from the uh, inspection career to to being a commercial airline pilot. I mean, you've got your PPL anyway, so I mean, you're you're halfway there, essentially. Yeah, well, I, I did. A few years ago, I did get through quite far in the BA Future Pilot scheme, but that's that's another story. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it's it's tremendously, uh, it's a big decision, but, you know, in life, you know, we have to make these decisions, don't we, and, and think about changing. 
I mean, I, I love the job I've got at the moment. It's fantastic. And But I can see I've heard loads of stories, you know, lor- uh, long-distance lorry drivers who've uh, ended up in the cockpit flying, um, <clears throat> spoken to people who've, who've gone for it. And, yeah, they've had to be very patient, but determination's key. And if you're determined and you're prepared to, you know, take the risks and uh, work hard, I think it's, it's certainly an option. And, uh, well, we need some positivity. We need these opportunities there so people can fly. So, I'm, I'm just looking in the chat room here. Alan White is saying that he forgot to mention that pilots and footballers both make similar salaries. <laughs> yeah, the difference is one is a year and one's a week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you'd come out with something there, Matt. Um, what else we it got? was uh, Bruce Dickinson. Was, yeah, uh, that's it. What, that's oh, it. I think yeah. Yeah. And uh, my man Mike is saying, hey, come on, we all know that Captain Nick and Captain Jeff are really rock stars. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we know. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I think probably, I reckon Captain Nick and Captain Jeff, I bet they used to have their own rock group, you know. They, they just haven't told us years ago. Hmm. Someone searched that one on the internet. It's probably something on there. Anyway, moving on. Sorry, the, the person I was thinking of at EasyJet was Tony Underwood. Tony, that's it, Underwood. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, Tony well Underwood. So, Matt, you have got the next story, and it's all about uh, seat sensors. Yes, another techie one. Um, so, yeah, this one's titled Seat Sensors, New Lights and Sugarcane. How will future aircraft cabins look? So, uh, this comes with a couple of links here, um, AeroTime and... Uh, in aviation on the net uh, we've got aircraft interiors expo in hamburg brings together airlines designers engineers and manufacturers to show off new concepts and products for cabins and in-flight entertainment and was held for the first time since 29 as a 2019 as a result of a tw- um, covid19 pandemic so what things have we got so they've got uh, smart seatbelts and noise cancelling headrests that sounds Certainly like a good idea, doesn't it? Hmm. Uh, German company ACM Aircraft Cabin Modification was touting its range of smart products, including a seat belt that senses whether you're strapped in and heart monitors that can tell if you're stressed. Can you imagine all the alarms going off as the aircraft vacates the runway of everyone undoing their seat belts? <laughs> <laughs> anyone that works for an airlines there's nothing more irritating than hearing 200 clicks as you're coming off the runway yeah, yeah. um it's especially useful during turbulence managing director arash noshari explained to aero time in hamburg it means the crew can quickly get an overview of where the passengers are buckled up which is a good idea hopefully it can sense that it's actually around somebody otherwise you could just do it up and have it behind you couldn't you but mm. uh, i guess it says it's got a sensor so maybe it knows uh, the company has also developed sensors that can be embedded into seats to monitor heart rate, providing an ECG-style readout. Uh, the use case scenario here is for pilots and single pilot technology. Should the pilot become incapacitated, people on the ground could be alerted and then potentially control the aircraft from the ground to a safe landing. The third smart product the company has developed are headrests with active noise cancelling, which Nashari says can reduce sound energy by 30 percent so some interesting uh, developments there there's a picture up that you can see of how this is supposed to work and uh, next we have jedi reading lights german glass manufacturer <laughs> displayed its brand new pebble-like reading lights jade reading light at the expo which it says is the first glass-based touch function light for aircraft 
The smooth light has no movable parts, thus reducing maintenance costs, and because it's glass can have any design printed onto it, such as wood or marble effect or branding, making it highly customizable for airlines. Airlines can also control the colour of the light during boarding, for example, to match their branding. For passengers, swiping with your finger dims the light or changes the position of it slightly. You feel a bit like a Jedi with this, apparently. Um, It can also be easily cleaned with a quick wipe, unlike other lights with movable switches or lamps. Um, Interesting. Um, I don't know any aircraft. Are there many aircraft where the lights move nowadays? I think most of them are just a button that turn on, aren't they? Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think branding, you know, you get the the 787 has all this mood lighting, doesn't it? So I guess mm. that's aimed at that sort of market. Uh, no more cold galleys. Ever noticed how some areas in an aircraft feel really cold? Aerotime has even heard stories of how cabin crew resort to wooden socks or use bottles filled with warm water to keep their feet warm in the galleys. According to Luft- Lufthansa Technic, it can get as cold as minus 10 in the galleys during a flight, especially in the lower areas due to cold air flow that makes it not only uncomfortable for crew while they're working but condensation can also collect on the door seals and mechanical parts freezing in cold weather and potentially preventing the doors from opening but the german company lufthansa technic said it has signed a deal to provide its heat now floor heating product to condor on its a320 fleet the system consists of an ultra thin and lightweight heated pad connected to the onboard power and can be installed on almost any floor panel uh, you can see a picture there of a um infrared camera showing the uh, heated floor panel there Interesting. It's not something I've ever heard uh, the cabin crew complain about, to be honest. In fact, they often, we often keep so it pretty cool in the flight deck. Yeah, we keep it mm. pretty cool in the flight deck, um, mainly because it's a bit like a greenhouse. We often have the sun shining on us, and uh, we're often pretty hot, so we have it quite cold. And often the cabin crew come in and say comment on how freezing cold it always is in the flight deck. Mm. But I guess they got this information from somewhere. There must be some airlines or some crew that are finding it cold in the galley i'll be asking uh, when i fly tomorrow if they ever get cold in the galley <laughs> hmm. uh sugarcane cabins is the next uh, item so supply facc unveiled what it termed a radically new cabin concept at the aix promising more sustainability and passenger comfort the company said it had spent several years developing a new lightweight material derived from sugarcane which it said is well suited for use in aviation because it's extremely robust and resistant to heat and chemicals it also unveiled a concept for in-flight entertainment with the entire back of the seat being transformed into a screen that can be connected to the passenger's own device um yeah for the cabin seats made out of sugarcane airlines will probably only care about whether it's lighter and burns less fuel Mm. so if it's also lighter then i'm sure airlines will be interested because you imagine how heavy uh all those seats are that any small reduction in weight off of each one will have a significant effect across the whole aircraft so i mean you can eat Um, the seats as well good wouldn't it yeah if your sugar (laughs) sugar level is getting a bit low just (laughs) lift the seat (laughs) um i like the idea of the the large screens though i always i mean it's it's getting better now isn't it but i always remember the the seats uh the in-seat tvs were always tiny weren't they when used to to go away but 
God, large you... screens connecting to your own device could be pretty good do you remember years ago with the old um the old tft displays that used to be in the and in, in the backs of the seats when they first were in the backs of seats and those are though the hideous displays weren't they that was they were really grainy and yeah. just dull and no color to them and yeah yeah them day. Or, or even going even further back i still remember the old crt monitors all the way down the oh, um yeah you know the pop down pop down crt monitors in there that's it God, yeah back, back to the future or whatever <laughs> everybody watching the same one hit rewind <laughs> I think I think Lockheed had it, had it pro- had it um, worked out properly in the TriStar back in the day when they had those um, the, pro- the original old school projector when they had the yeah. color light projector screens. That's it. Yeah, I mean that that was, I mean uh, that that technically is the first cinema in the sky. I think personally, mm-hmm. what Lockheed mm-hmm. had with them. I think I think Douglas done up with the DC ten as well. I can't remember, but I know Lockheed mm-hmm. done it with the TriStar anyway. Yeah. Uh, Mike has got a good point. Uh, if it got too hot in the cabin, would it all turn into caramel? <laughs> <laughs> Could be an issue. Door, lose yeah. Could be an issue, yeah. Uh, and this last item, I think this is an excellent idea, and I don't know why this hasn't happened before, because this is always a nightmare. Head, uh, headset-free audio. So Safran Seats unveiled Euphony, uh, or Euphony, a passenger experience system for business and first-class seats that brings passengers with a headset-free personal sound experience. It's developed alongside acoustic engineering company Deviolet, bringing sound in every position of the seat for use with entertainment content provided by the airline without headsets and cables. This setup provides a high-fidelity sound with a system that can be adjusted in real time to the audio content and the ambient cabin noise, for a personalised listening experience that doesn't affect other passengers on board. Mm. I think that's a great idea. I mean, even if they just gave us wireless headsets to wear, I always find, especially travelling with children, you've got, you know, the four of us or three of us uh, in a row, they all get tangled up or you want to, you put your seatbelt on and then the wire's under your seatbelt and you have to undo it again. Mm. So wireless is, I'm surprised this hasn't happened already because I think it's a great idea. You think the cost of Mm. sanitizing, handing out and collecting back in all those things, everyone is in a plastic bag. Um, People nick them. It must cost them a fortune. You say one of the things I could never work out, Matt, was, you know, if you've ever flew on, I think it was on the previous BA product before they upgraded their world traveler cabins and the economy cabins, they had the, the, the headphone jack in the side of the um, of the arm of the seat where you're sitting on the actual side. So when you get in your seat, if you've got your headphones plugged in on the side and you accidentally clipped with your leg as you got in, you'd end up snapping off the jack cable in the hole or bending it or breaking it or breaking the wire. Yeah, I've done that before. Yeah, And yeah. I, I always thought to myself, who designed to ha- on the seats to have the jack cable input on the inside side of the arm so you'd always every time you'd catch it i think emirates have got the right idea i think on the emirates economy i'm pretty sure on the the emirates triple seven um their headphone jacks are actually in front of you yeah that's good next to the tv so you you know you know you knew the cables there in front of you yeah so it wasn't we flew virgin in uh, easter um out to the states and uh they had I don't know why airlines haven't done this before either. It was just a normal three and a half mil jack. So you could put your own headphones in mm. rather than this weird two prong thing <laughs> as if you yeah. want to steal some useless headphones <laughs> that aren't going to work anywhere else. Yeah. 
but now you can just use your own so you just have more comfortable headset to wear much better idea i think that's great yeah owen in the chat room says that some of the ife where he works is bluetooth which is always good i think always good to have bluetooth i think some of the american carriers had or have bluetooth connectivity on some of their um ife systems interesting which, which, is, which is a good you know if, if it works it's a good thing I, I don't know how that would work with about 300 people all using bluetooth on the same aircraft but it goes back to the internet doesn't it we get yeah. to the point where you have a lot of people in a small space bandwidth of any form is going to become an issue isn't it mm. Mm. oh mike has just put in on comment to what I said, he put the problem with the cable jacks being in front of you is that if you're sitting in a row and someone wants to get out, you have to unplug. True, but then you normally have to sort of move and get out and step out for them to get out anyway, unless you're in the overwing exit seat, in which case you've got loads of room. But or if you're in business class, I have obviously. to be careful though. There's a lot of lot of radio in a in the capsule of the aircraft you know and uh, as time goes on they're going to need to just be very careful with this you know you've got avionics loom going up the floor and uh, mm. yeah it's going to require a lot of development and testing i mm. think but i think it's a great idea certainly the plugging your own headphones in yeah mm. and this mm. this development here where the speakers are built into the headrests yeah is a really you can get those sort of pillow speakers can't you that yeah. only you can hear I guess it's the similar sort of design. Yeah. I think it's a really good idea. So uh, that was it. Yeah, that's all of that. So quite interesting. Hamburg's been busy, hasn't it? It has been busy. And perhaps we'll see some of those in, in the not too distant future. Or well, some of the ideas, that'd be nice to have some of them come out into, um, into the world. Um, next story comes to us from Armando. And uh, Armando is going to be talking to us all about uh, a pilot controller faulted in a crash. This comes to us from the AINonline.com. Now, guys, according to an NTSB final report, a pilot's failure to navigate around hazardous weather resulting in flying into a thunderstorm led to the subsequent loss of control and in-flight breakup of a turboprop-converted Piper Malibu near Castalia, North Carolina in June 2019. That accident killed the pilot and three passengers on board. The NTSB also said that the air traffic controller's, quote, failure to provide the pilot with adequate and timely weather information as required contributed to the pilot's inability to safely navigate the hazardous weather. Although the pilot was not instrument rated, he filed IFR for the Part 91 cross-country trip from Naples, Florida to Easton, Maryland. That's actually where I'm going today. The aircraft was also about 730 pounds over max takeoff weight at the time of takeoff. While in cruise at flight level 270, the 58-year-old pilot reported to ATC that his radar showed weather ahead. The controller acknowledged that weather but did not provide specifics to the pilot as requested, including the size and strength of the precipitation or the cloud tops, which were estimated afterwards at about 43,000 feet. The airplane entered an area of heavy to extreme precip precipitation, likely in a thunderstorm updraft, while in IMC, according to this NTSB report. Tracking information indicated that the airplane climbed, climbed about 300 feet, then entered a right descending spiral and broke up in flight at high altitude. The aircraft was estimated to be about 148 pounds over max gross weight at the time of the accident. Now there are some uh, obvious facts in here that there was pilot error uh, in, in, and some judgment lapses here, but I want to 
talk about the controller aspect of this. Controllers are always there to help. That is something that I've learned uh, over the years, and they are amazing at what they do. Controllers are so in tune with the area that they work, and if you listen to the guys over at Opposing Bases, they know the ins and outs, the weather patterns, the pros and cons of, of navigating aircraft. They know exactly what they're doing because they do it day in, day out in this very specific geographic area. Um, I have always been impressed with the ability of air traffic controllers to navigate us around adverse weather, especially thunderstorms. Um, now I've had the opportunity to fly into Dallas-Fort Worth, Atlanta Hartsfield, um, Boston Logan, some of these airports that are incredibly busy, yet the controllers know exactly how to navigate airplanes and how to, how to flow them into and out of the airports to make sure that the uh, safest route is taken in order to minimize uh, both uh, discomfort to the air crew as well as maintaining the flow into these airports. Um, now that all being said, one of the things that I've learned is also don't let an air traffic controller fly your airplane. Especially inexperienced pilots tend to defer to the controller's experience and sometimes will take their suggestions, which that is what they are, is just suggestions, but they'll take suggestions almost as instructions because they're in a position of authority. So this is a two-way street between the pilots and the controllers. In this case, the controller uh, failed in providing time-sensitive weather information to the pilot, but also the, the aircraft, which is you know proven, uh, proven aircraft, uh, broke up because the pilot had made a judgment error and, and decided to take off over gross weight. And, and on top of that, he was... Uh, not qualified to fly in instrument conditions. So, um, unfortunate story, but there's always something to be learned from each of these stories. And thank you, Armando, for that. Another great uh, recording, as always, with another great background. Um, thoughts, guys? I mean, flying into hazardous weather, I mean, I remember Peter many years ago when I was on a, on a, less, a training lesson years ago when we took off from Beckles and we started heading out towards the coast at Pakefield and Kessel in that way and there was quite a you could see quite a notable cell yeah out to sea yeah. and I think it was John at the time who was who was my mm. instructor at the time said no that's that's it we'll yeah. we'll scrub today we'll go back and we'll call it a call it a day you know that was mm. a, a quick decision and that was nowhere near yeah. the field at the time it's better to be on the ground wishing you're in the air than being in the air wishing you're on the ground, as mm. they say. Um, surprising with this particular thing. I mean, it looked like he wasn't instrument rated. Um, so, um, okay, maybe, I don't know what the ins and outs of that were, but um, yeah, it's decision making. I mean, it's, it's very sad, clearly. And it's that typical Swiss cheese holes, everything lines up and... Uh, accident takes place but it's very, very sad that he ended up entering what he, you know most people would would try to avoid and um yeah well, what can we say we've, we've all got to learn lessons from it and uh yeah if uh, you know if in doubt we've got to turn back go home and uh yeah it's get ho a little bit of get home itis as well perhaps you know I'm, I'm halfway there maybe i need to continue and yeah it's uh tricky stuff yeah what do you think about the atc i mean they, they are like Armando said. They are there to to help us, but they're not mm. there to to fly the plane for us. 
Yeah, a lot of people are a little bit on the mic shy side. I'm not suggesting in this case um, Pilot was, but um, yeah, we've got to be able to ask for help if we need it. And of course, aviate, navigate, communicate in that order. But, uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask. Mm. I'm surprised that the information, you know, wasn't made available. You know, that was um, pretty um, <laughs> a pretty big oversight, really. But, um, yeah, I mean, ATC are there. They, they're very, often very, very good. And um, just a whole bunch of things seem to have lined up in this case. And it's a real surprise. You know, you ask why. Well, we need to learn from this, don't we, and see, you know, why did it happen? What What was missing? Matt, um, do you have any uh, controllers in particular around the places you fly in Europe that uh, who who bark orders at you rather than uh, than ask you? Um, no, not bark orders at <laughs> us. No, I wouldn't say bark orders. Just, I won't name any names. There, there are areas that uh, you trust less than others. Let's put it like that. Um, yeah, I mean, ATC is quite different in the US. I mean, in Europe we would never ask ATC what they knew about the weather because we would probably know more about it. They don't tend to give us that sort of information. Um, Interesting parts here, as we've already mentioned, the person, they filed IFR, but they didn't have an instrument rating, uh, which I've heard quite a few accidents uh, in the US that have this sort of scenario. Um, Also, it was overweight. Now, we will never know. Uh, or maybe the NTSB knows, but uh, could that have helped, unfortunately, help with the breakup of the aircraft in the weather? Because if the aircraft was overweight, then it may well have got overstressed with any of the G-loading that would have been caused by the turbulence in the weather. So that could be a factor. Um, uh, Interestingly, it says he's got radar, weather radar ahead. So I don't know uh, what the weather radars, um, avionics were, that were fitted to this where there is a very simple storm scope that just shows um you know bands of red um on a sort of scale or whether a full digital weather radar but uh you'd maybe they weren't well trained on it or maybe they weren't very current i don't know but you know even on big airlines a320 we wouldn't go on go through any thunderstorms like that so mm. i flew back from tel aviv yesterday and um, the whole way, there were thunderstorms all the way through Croatia and uh, Austria, all the way through. We were just dodging storms all the way. You know, it's quite a high workload when you've got that sort of situation. You can't relax because you're always thinking, oh, we'll take 10 degrees to the left to get around this mm. one. And so it's, mm. it's quite a task to, to avoid weather and an important one because, as you can see, uh, you don't mess with nature. Exactly. Peter, you've got the next mm. story, and uh, we're looking here at why Australia are going back in time. Well, so, story, resurrecting the albatross, why Australia is returning to a 70-year-old seaplane. This is from aerotime.aero. So airlines across the world tend to capitalise on the latest high-tech aircraft to squeeze profit in a heavily contested market. However, in other aspects of aviation, including military and general aviation, old designs are often prized for their reliability, ruggedness and low cost. And the same logic applies to seaplanes. The type experienced its golden age almost a century ago, but was pushed out as airport infrastructure developed and became more accessible. 
In 2016, Australian firm Amphibian Aerospace Industries, or AAI, announced plans to commence manufacturing a new version of the G111 Albatross, a flying boat that ceased production in 1961. The G111 is a civilian version of the HU-16 military seaplane, which is also known as the SA-16 JR-2F-1 and UF-1 in various services around the world. The HU-16, introduced in 1949, was an upscaled and up-engined version of the slightly earlier Grumman Mallard. More than 460 UH-16s were built and used by the US Air Force, Navy and Coast Guard, as well as many export customers such as the Royal Canadian Air Force and the German Navy. Most of these aircraft ended their careers in the late 1960s and early 1970s and were sold off to commercial operators. Some received extensive upgrades to their avionic and airframes, becoming the G111. The G111 has a unique position in the seaplane market. It's FAA certified, 28-seat, hull-in-the-water, flying boat. The nearest alternatives are either 19 seats or less, or not FAA certified, Dan Webster, CEO of AAI, explained to AeroTime. The company's justification for restarting production of the aircraft seems solid. The Albatross does not really compete with other seaplanes still manufactured today. Furthermore, it outperforms these aircraft in many aspects. Being a flying boat, the Albatross can resist higher waves and land in harsher conditions than its floats plane counterparts. A regular landborne aircraft with floats instead of landing gear. Asking about possible upgrades, Webster said one of the top priorities is keeping the aircraft simple, which means retaining its aluminium construction or aluminium rather than using modern composites. (laughs) The original HU-16 was equipped with a rather antiquated Wright R 1820 Cyclone radial engine. The manufacturing of this engine stopped in the 1950s, and some albatrosses have since been re-engined. The next G-111s will sport PT-6A-67F turboprop, which is a deeply modernised variant of the ubiquitous PT-6, which powers anything from air tractor AT-400s to the Piaggio P-180 Avantis. In December 2021, AAI signed an agreement with Australia's Northern Territory Government and secured permission to develop manufacturing infrastructure in Darwin. With support from the local government and various prizes and grants, work there has already started. According to Webster, by December 2022, AAI's research and development team will be housed in a new building in Darwin with a new hangar serving as a home to two of the company's G111s. there's several variants. Uh, there's a combi passenger cargo, 28 passengers, three crew, galleon restroom. There's an aeromedivac capable of transporting 12 stretchers in a single lift. Aeromedical, four to six stretchers with capacity for more sophisticated medical equipment. And search and rescue, capable of mission up to 12 hours, extendable to 20 hours with extendable fuel tanks. So there we are. Interesting stuff from down under. I quite like these. I I I, mm. I had a had a dabble with seaplane when we were on honeymoon. We flew on on the De Havilland, you know, the, uh, the Twin Otter um, seaplane. Oh, that's a fantastic experience, an absolutely yeah. mega experience. I'd love to try again for sure. But these these are another a completely different ball game altogether. Mm. I mean, I, lo- I mean, I love the paint job. If anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's also like if it ain't broke don't fix it these aircraft have been used in the past oh, very yeah. robust designed to land in the water you know 
the Catalina is one of them, isn't it? Flying boat and uh, yeah, mm. that's amazing, isn't it? Actually, you just said that. I, I went. To, I done a. I done a trip out. A couple of trips out this week. Um, Parson Duxford in the uh, in the van, and I'll tell you what. You know, being an av geek and being or driving a vehicle and going past Duxford is not a great combination, uh-huh. especially when they've they've dragged um, the the Catalina out of the hangar. So I'm driving along and I'm I'm sort of looking out like this. <laughs> oh, because that is yeah. quite a busy road. That that uh, road that goes. I past know Duxford. that road. Same yeah. here, rubber neck syndrome. I'm yeah. just looking at it. <laughs> How did you write off your car? Oh, uh, watching the Spitfire. Even, even the, you know, you go past the, the gate guard is there on the car park, and you kind of, yeah. you've always just, just got to look. It's one of those mm. things. It is, it's a nightmare when you when you see great stuff like that in the air. But the- did, on the subject of gate guardians, did you? Someone told me a story that somebody many years ago bought all of those gate guardians up, the original ones, for something like one pound or three pounds each. Originally, the really? original aircraft, yeah, made a fortune later on. That's wow. some story I heard somewhere. And they were replaced for models in some cases, I think possibly at Biggin Hill, I'm not sure. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, bought them for peanuts. Anyway, sorry. I need, I need to get back there, actually. I, I need, to, <laughs> need, need to use my, um, my, uh, my, my Christmas present a bit more, my, my membership to the, uh, to the Imperial War Museum. I need to go back to Duxford again. Because to be fair, mm-hmm. going to Duxford, you, you don't yeah. – you, you go go back air. Uh, Ten times in a month, and it, it wouldn't uh, wouldn't be boring. Right. So, mm. so moving on to the next story, and uh, this one comes to us from aviationonline.com. And this, I love this because I've seen this aircraft. Well, not personally, but I've seen it online so much. It looks awesome. Uh, this is Honeywell's Boeing seven five seven turns forty years old. So the Boeing 757, owned by U.S. company Honeywell, celebrated its 40th anniversary. Uh, Since 2005, the aircraft has been used for various tests of new technologies and solutions for the aviation industry. It was the fifth aircraft of its type to roll off the production line. It completed its first flight in February 1983 and began operating for Eastern Airlines that same month. Uh, then it operated commercially for Air Tours International. I remember those, don't you, Peter? And mm. My Travel Airways. Uh, in 2005, the aircraft with manufacturer serial number MSN22194 was acquired by Honeywell and registered as November 757 Hotel Whiskey. Today, although the 757s have been retired from most fleets to be replaced by more modern, efficient aircraft, it continues to be used as a test aircraft. Jet engines, electrically and mechanical systems, avionics, software and connectivity equipment were some of the tools tested on the aircraft. They said we are among the select few pilots in the industry who have the responsibility to push an aircraft close to its limits, said Joe Duval, Director of Flight Test Operations for Honeywell Aerospace. He said we have the international or have the intentionally flown into some nasty storms to test our radars and we have flown towards more mountains than I can tell count to test our ground proximity warning systems he added currently the aircraft has accumulated more than 800 tests and 3,000 flight hours around the world many innovative technologies were tested with it 
which were later implemented into different industry segments. These include Honeywell's uh, IntuView RDR4000 and the DR7000 weather radars for commercial and military aircraft, next generation flight management systems, as well the HTF7000 oh, HTF7000 engines, uh, Jetwave and Jetwave MCX onboard connectivity systems, uh, among other things that have been tested on this particular aircraft. Now, I have safe to say, and everyone knows that the 757 is on my list, of, um, number two on my list of uh, favourite aircraft. I absolutely love the 75, and um, I hope it continues to fly for you know more years. But 40 years old, Peter. Yeah, I flew, I think, a Britannia 75 as a passenger. Mm. Uh, in fact, um, back then you could write to the airline if you were interested in aeroplanes, say you wanted to be a pilot when you grow up, and you could fly in the jump seat, which I did. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> you so lucky that, to do that. That was fantastic. It was the captain's retiring flight, and he did a manual landing. It was a bit on the heavy side, and the manual <laughs> came out and hit me. <laughs> but um, uh, it was fantastic. And everybody I've spoken to, pilots, every I've I've even heard that a number of companies have said, you know, uh, have gone to uh, back to Boeing and said, can you not sort of rejig this, bring it out again? We mm. love it as an aircraft. Mm. The performance, particularly pilots, raved about. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It, well, it says RB211s. Yeah. And I think they, yeah. they, they had a few of them were powered by the Pratt Whitney's as well, weren't they, Peter? Yeah, the possibly. Yeah. I think the American yeah. ones had um, the Pratt Whitney engines yeah. on. But I know BA had theirs, and theirs were powered by RB211s, which is why they were well, pocket rockets, I think they were referred to as yeah. well, weren't they? But um, Matt, I know you're an Airbus uh, aficionado, but um, any thoughts? Oh, it's lovely aircraft, isn't it? Everyone I speak to that's flown the 7.5 has absolutely loved it. Almost identical um, story to Peter, actually. When I was quite young, I went on holiday and... Uh, I had a little job at a local airfield and one of the instructors there went off and got a job at Britannia and we were going on holiday and they just happened uh, to be on the flight as the first officer. So back then you could go in the flight deck the same and uh, told the cabin crew, oh, I know the the pilot and they went up and they called me up and did the whole flight on the jump seat. <laughs> so it was amazing. Yes, yeah, so we did. a. Fantastic. I think it was into Ibiza or somewhere um, or Mahon. Yeah. Uh, on the jump seat on the 7.5, fantastic. And, yeah, pocket rocket, everyone says, you know, they were so overpowered, those aircraft, that, yeah, they were always used to climb up vertical. They were amazing. Mm. So, yeah, and what an interesting life that aircraft's had. You know, it's got a turboprop stuck on the side, flying <laughs> towards testing GPWS. <laughs> amazing uh, workhorse that aircraft has probably saved a lot of lives with its research. Mm. Definitely, so, yeah. And long may it continue to fly. Yes. So, moving on to the next story. And this one comes to us from Armando on this next one. Another one uh, recorded to us by the awesome legend that is. And this one is from the dailymail.co.uk. And it's all about a hero pilot saving hundreds of holidays. A hero pilot saved hundreds of holidays by getting out of the cockpit and loading luggage onto his plane that was delayed by 32 hours. Passengers watched that this pilot, known only as Simon, rushed to help the staff at the Manchester airport after the flight was finally given a 40-minute window to take off. 
Catherine Cox, who was among those traveling from Manchester to Crete, said that the pilot was, quote, the hero of our holiday. But of course, this comes as it was revealed that senior executives at TUI enjoyed workations in the run-up to this week's chaos. The firm allowed members of its head office to log on abroad to improve their, quote, work-life balance. Andrew Willis, the head of talent acquisition and workforce management at TUI, said that he had plenty of time to enjoy his all-inclusive TUI hotel in Ibiza while working poolside. That's according to the Daily Telegraph. Uh, TUI said that they are proud of the flexible ways of working that they offer their colleagues. Now, on this Manchester flight, Jenny Cook, which was one of the passengers, claimed that the hands-on captain saved hundreds of TUI holidays. She said that the pilot had told those on the flight that the crew were doing everything in their power to ensure that the flight took off. He said, even my co-pilot is out there loading bags. Mrs. Cook from Warrington, Cheshire, uh, Warrington in Cheshire revealed. Uh, we looked out the window and there he was. Next thing we knew, we were taxiing onto the runway. Everybody on board was cheering. Simon had gone above and beyond. A Mrs. Cook, who was traveling with her husband and their daughters, added that the pilot should be recognized by Tui for his work. Now, this is one thing that I want to talk about. For us pilots and air crew and the cabin crew and everybody involved, reminder, we also want to get you there. Uh, many times we will do everything in our power to get that flight off on time, or at least as close to on time as we can, especially when the last minute word comes that we can go. Reminder, also, delays affect our schedules. We don't want to be delayed because it just gums up the whole rest of your day, possibly even the rest of your week. As flight crew, we also value customer service. Uh, we want to ensure the best experience for our customers and everybody involved. Um, so sometimes there is a little bit of a disconnect between management and the people out there on the line, both on the ground crew and the air crew doing the work. Um, but we will never do this at the uh, compromise of safety. So good job to this pilot. Uh, definitely a good job. Actually, I saw I saw that video. You mentioned that earlier, actually, didn't you, Peter? That um, that video. Yeah. I think it was on Twitter. I think it was on. I saw it on Twitter on one of the Twitter feeds um, of him doing that. Um, it, it, I'm guessing that would be a hundred percent something you'd you'd do, Matt, to get your um, your flight, you know, going if you had to. Yeah, I remember um, we actually had a situation all years ago now, probably fourteen years ago, something like. That. I remember we were in Milan and. Uh, the ground or the baggage handlers were on a sort of semi unofficial strike and uh, the captain said we'll just go down there and start loading bags and so we we picked up the first case and they were all like horrified and sort of <laughs> embarrassed that we were holding the bag and they all quickly ran over and started taking over and put the bags on but yeah i guess in the in the right circumstances if you felt that that was gonna get you away then definitely yeah certainly going the extra mile isn't it yeah yeah and you could find yourself on social media matt you know yeah just where i want to be yeah. <laughs> 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 oh dear anyway moving on swiftly on we've got loads to get through still uh matt you've got uh this next one and this honestly this video which goes with this thing honestly i just just bizarre so this one uh well the title tells you pretty much all you need to know, doesn't it? Jordanian Air Marshal pulls gun on passengers, uh, which is not 
ideal, is it? Uh, so while the incident allegedly took place several months back, footage is now going viral of a Jordanian security officer pulling a gun on passengers in the galley in order to keep them away from the jet's cockpit. In the video, you will see the cockpit door open and close, and then passengers repeatedly try to come up to the cockpit to enter it, while the security officer keeps passengers away with his gun. This incident happened on Jordan Aviation, which is a private charter airline based in Amman. The airline operates worldwide charter services. This allegedly happened on a charter flight from Saudi Arabia to Nigeria. According to reports, the flight had to divert to a different airport in Nigeria and the airline tried to offload passengers there. The travellers weren't happy with the diversion point and the carrier's inability to get them to their final destination. Once the plane was on the ground, passengers wanted to speak to the captain. However, Jordan's laws prohibit passengers from entering the cockpit and it's standard for the Jordanian airlines to have a security officer on board. So when the passengers tried to enter the cockpit, the security officer tried to keep them away with a gun. So, yeah, what are your thoughts there then? Well, we have, we have a video of this, actually, which uh, we're just going to put on here uh, for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. Here we go. If we'll put the video on so you can uh, see. Uh, here we go. We're going to play that right now. Certainly not a great situation to be in. No. <clears throat> As a passenger, honestly, you're going to be you're going to be sitting there thinking, uh, "What's going on?" You know, I need to get off this aircraft now. Um, I can't believe that. It's difficult to know what to say, isn't it? Because, you know, who in their right mind would, you know, if you're on a, if you're on a bus going to Norwich or wherever, go up to the driver and have a word. But you're on an aeroplane. Yeah, who in their right mind would enter the cockpit and sort of want to give the captain a piece of their mind? And mm. it, it's just crazy and... Some might say, well, it was on, I believe it was on the ground, wasn't it, when they'd diverted somewhere else? Um, you know, but the fact of the matter is, somebody gets in there um, with ill intent, you know, anything could potentially happen. And, uh, well, somebody's got to make sure it doesn't get that far. It's pretty, uh, I don't know, it's pretty shocking, isn't it? I'm the same, really. I'm torn. I mean, to us, it would be shocking to see that, um situation but then the highest level security uh breach that we have in aviation is attempted access to the flight deck um like peter says it's on the ground so you could argue that it's slightly less but still you know they didn't seem to be put off by the fact that he had a gun drawn did he so it looks like it's quite a hostile situation um what would have happened if that air marshal wasn't on board? They would have probably been trying to hammer into the flight deck, I guess. Not that they would have got in, but yeah. it's, uh, you know, the captain's in charge and he's behind a, a door with everyone trying to smash it down. It's very hard to take control of a situation from behind a, a bulletproof door, isn't it? Uh, Richard so Adams just... actually says in the chat room, surely if the door was shut, they they couldn't get in anyway. Correct. Which is, is correct. Yeah. Yeah. 
but uh, like I say the flight deck can't get out to deal with the situation and wouldn't probably want to get out in that sort of situation either it looks like it's something that's just got very out of control doesn't it mm. well you could always do what tex johnson done in that 707 many years ago remember peter do you remember i'm trying um remind me Tex, Tex Johnson uh, done the barrel roll in the 707. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the ground. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, but this is true. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd just use the escape ropes and jump out the flight deck windows, and then when they finally broke in, there'd be no one in there. It'd already gone. <laughs> <laughs> Bit harder for you in the air, though, Matt. I think you'd have to. Yeah. Yeah. Mind you, could, yeah. I suppose you could always slow the aircraft down to sort of, you know, nearly stall speed, open the window and just jump out anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But parachute. this was on the ground, though, this situation, wasn't <laughs> yeah, it? That was on the yeah. ground, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, no. we, all, we all know you've got hidden hidden parachutes up there, man. Of course, yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, Richard, uh, same mind as me, window rope, he's put question mark. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Well, we are going to move on from the commercial then uh, for this week because we've got still got loads to get through on the show this week. And uh, we're going to go on to our caption this just for fun. Now, those of you who follow us on social media, on the F Facebook, will know that every Wednesday, hopefully, if I remember, uh, I put a picture up on Facebook for you to comment on and give us your wittiest comments on your captions for uh, to make the team laugh, and we'll read them out on the show. Uh, so this week's picture, which will come up on the screen right now, there we go, um, Matt, uh, would you like to uh, to comment on what this uh, particular picture shows for the uh, audio viewers? Okay, so um, we've got an aircraft tipped up on its tail, so it, it would look like it's a cargo aircraft that's out of balance, um, and hanging, having fallen off of the loading uh, dolly, uh, scissor lift is um, an SUV, as uh, our American listeners say, or a four by four that looks uh, like it's been in better days. It's been dropped from the. Uh, <laughs> up by the cargo door <laughs> uh, you see quite a few incidences of these uh some of you may see uh when cargo aircraft are loading particularly 747 some of these big rocks they actually have um like an acropole jack that goes up on the tail so that while they're loading it doesn't tip up um something similar has happened on this one someone forgot that here i think yeah so we've had some yeah. comments on the facebook page and uh, i'll start with the first one uh we'll we'll got we've got a few here to read so the first one comes from michael clark he says hello this is jeff with acme freight services we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty like that one next one um matt do you want to take next one yeah, as he, as he frantically looks at his show notes. Yeah, where are they then on the show notes? It's uh, it's it's on the caption. It's just after the commercial. Unless honestly, you wouldn't think this is live, would you, people? I know. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Sorry. Uh, if everyone could pull down on the tail, please, I'll be able to drive out of this tight spot. That's from Gary Foreman. Well done to you, <laughs> Gary. Uh, Peter, do you want to take the next one? Mm, this is from Darry. Warning, object on the rear view mirror may actually be bigger than this. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. I've seen that warning as well. Uh, next one comes to us from uh, some some geezer called uh, Armando Carrion. Mm. Uh, not exactly sure which owner will be madder. <laughs> I see, yes, I like that. 
I think the uh, the cargo plane is going to be a bit more money than the um, the SUV. I think actually, uh, Matt, you're the next one. Yeah, uh, go around fod on the runway, and that's from Stuart. And mm. uh, Peter, you got the last one. Yeah, from James. Oh yeah, that's where I parked my car. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the worrying thing is if they if the car like slid forward slightly, and then the aircraft moved back onto mm. its nose wheel. That would be a whole more different ball game altogether. Uh, big headache. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> I'm just reading the comments in the chat room. Alan White says, lack of experienced staff in the aviation industry is getting worse every day. <laughs> and Richard Adams says, you can always go around. Very true. like that one. <laughs> that's quite a good shot, actually. And that is an actual, that's not an actually staged shot. That, that obviously actually happened. Unbelievable. Hmm. <laughs> And I'm going to guess that's a 7.4, I would have said, with the central um, gear on the bottom. I'm wondering if, try to guess being an investigator here, I reckon they reversed the off. And then as it's come off, obviously the weight has come off the aeroplane and then it's tipped up as they're reversing off. Would be my guess. Could be, couldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All the load at the back, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> anyway, there'll be more next week on our Facebook page. So if you are over on Facebook, if you haven't already given us a follow on there, make sure you give us a follow on Facebook. And then next Wednesday, uh, hopefully, if I remember, uh, there'll be another picture up on there for you to uh, to leave your comments on on our Facebook page. So on the caption this. So look out for that next week. Um, so we are going to. Uh, go on to some military news next uh, so if everyone is ready Uh, this first one comes to us uh, from uh, the drive.com and uh, it's uh, the United States Marine Corps has identified five crew killed in a tragic MV-22 Osprey crash on June the 8th in Imperial County, California. The 3rd Marine Wing, uh, or 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing, identified the two pilots and crew chiefs as Captain John J. Sachs, who was 33, of Placer, California, and Captain uh, Nicholas P., uh, Losapio, 31, of Rockingham, New Hampshire, uh, Corporal Nathan E. Carlson, 21, of Winnebago, Illinois, and Corporal Seth D. Rasmussen, 21, of Johnson, uh, Wyoming, and Lieutenant Corporal Evan A. Strickland, who was 19, of Valencia, New Mexico. All were assigned to Marine Medium Tilt Rotor, VMM Squadron 364, the Purple Foxes, uh, Marine Aircraft Group, or MAG-39, the 3rd MAW, and were based at Marine Corps Air Station Camp Pendleton, California. Uh, the wing release a, a released a statement from uh, VMM-364's Commanding Officer, Lieutenant Colonel John C. Miller. 
He said it's with a heavy heart that we mourn the loss of five Marines from the Purple Fox family, Miller said. This is an extremely difficult time for VM364, um, uh, and it's hard to express the impact for this loss has had on our squadron and its families. Though the Navy has called a pause, there has been nothing connecting the crashes. Uh, Commander Zach Harrell, uh, San Diego-based spokesman for the Naval Air Force, has told the New York Times. He said if there's anything that comes out of the investigation that determines there's a link that will be addressed immediately, he told newspapers. Such a safety pause has been taken place before, Harold told the Times, usually after there had been several crashes in a short period of time. Uh, the Air Force has also recently experienced its own mishaps involving three F-16s in separate incidents. The uh, South Dakota Air National Guard's 114th Fighter Wing owned both aircraft. The first incident took place on the 11th of May uh, when an F-16 aircraft assigned to the unit went off the end of the runway 15 at Joe Foss Field in Sioux Falls after returning from what the 114th Fighter Wing statement described as being a routine training mission. Uh, the second incident took place about two weeks later on the 31st of May when an F-16C uh, aircraft assigned to the 114th Fighter Wing experienced what appeared to be a very similar landing mishap. The Air Force is currently investigating both Air, uh, Air National Guard mishaps with independent safety investigation boards. Rose Riley, an Air Force spokeswoman, told the war zone last week. And it's very sad, actually, when you hear about these uh, the crashes that happen um, with, uh, with, with anything, really, military or commercial. But, um, you know, there's always... It's, it's not just the... Um, obviously the crews and stuff there's the families and, and everyone involved it's very sad for everyone especially when because uh, we all know that military um, units and detachments are all very close uh, knit communities aren't they um, but there's also another military crash that happened in the desert around el centro california the third in the region seven days it comes less than 48 hours after an mv-22 osprey killed five marines in the same area um, and there's also another one here from the drive uh, in the wake of recent crashes two of them fatal a safety pause for all non-deployed navy and marine aircraft went into effect uh, this week as a result of recent crashes involving the u.s navy marine corps uh, aircraft commander naval air forces have directed all non-deployed aviation units to conduct a safety pause on june the 13th in order to review risk management practices and conduct training on threat and error management processes wow so there we go it's uh, not uh, not good reading these but obviously we cover these in the military news um each week when we when we have to obviously but um i was actually at work this week and there was uh, two v uh, two v 22 ospreys actually flew over and they are such an amazing yeah. sight to see flying over those aircraft amazing without yeah. question so matt uh do you want to take the next one uh from the aviationist.com uh yeah i've got uh, sweden is looking to replace That's the one. yeah cool Yes, yeah, Sweden is looking to replace its six old C-130Hs with four second-hand C-130Js from Italy, uh, as the procurement of the latter has been judged as a better option than an upgrade program. While this has not yet been officially confirmed from the two countries, Air Force's monthly reported news after an interview with the Swedish Air Force Chief of Staff. 
We are buying the first two from the Italian Air Force, which will be modified at a later stage, says Major General Col Johan Edstrom. We hope to acquire six, and the second pair will also come from Italy. So, replacing all six C-130Hs with six C-130Js. In fact, it is being reported that the Italian government has put six C-130s on sale. Before the decision to completely replace the C-130H fleet, Sweden has been looking at ways to upgrade the aircraft currently in service. However, the upgrade program would have reduced the number of the operational aircraft for the time being. We decided not to modernise our C-130Hs because it meant the fleet numbers would drop for several years while they were away being modified, which would take six to nine months at a time, said Major General Edstrom. According to AFM's interview, the first two aircraft might be delivered already next year, while the complete replacement of the C-130H fleet might happen by 2025. The acquisition of the C-130J has been judged a perfect choice by Major General Edstrom. It's a great decision to go for the C-130Js. They can fulfil the needs of the Special Forces, Army and Air Force. It's the perfect design for the armed forces. The aeronautical militaire received 12 C-130Js and 10 longer C-130J-30s, which were delivered between May 2000 and February 2005 and assigned to the 46th Brigata Aria, the air brigade, at Pisa airports. Several of these aircraft are reportedly in storage, with Scramble reporting at least three aircraft noted stored at Pisa and around five aircraft at the Venice Tessera airport. The numbers seem to add up with the reports about the six aircraft being up for sale. So, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty good workhorse. The C-130s, aren't they? Land anywhere, pretty much. So, yeah. Excellent. Thank you for, for reading that. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to cool down. It is so hot in this studio. Like you <laughs> would not believe. Uh, Peter, you've got uh, story number two on there for, on the military segment. Story number two. Is this the uh, F-35s, Germany? The right one? Yeah. Uh, aviationpros.com. Um, so uh, Germany has chosen an installation near the US-operated <laughs> Spangdelam, I've no idea how to pronounce that. I'm sure somebody will come and correct me. Airbase to house the 35 American made fighter jets it purchased as part of the military overhaul in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The fleet of fifth generation F 35 stealth jets will be stationed at Bueschel Air Base in the country's Eiffel region. German broadcaster SWR reported Saturday, citing an unidentified spokesman in the German Air Force's Federal Infrastructure Office. The spokesman said the planes will take up residence at Bueschel after runway renovation, which is expected to be completed by 2026. The F-35 will fill the role of the ageing tornado jets, which Germany has relied on for decades. The task of nuclear sharing will be guaranteed in the future. The goal is to replace the tornado by 2030, the German defence minister tweeted in March. Thomas Hitchler, a German lawmaker from Rhineland-Pfalz, told SWR that Weschel is the ideal location for the new jets. With the F-35, the Air Force will be able to ensure the necessary tasks of alliance and national defence in the coming decades, he said. The choice of Weschel is significant because the base is reported the storage site of US nuclear weapons in Germany. 
Given the F-35's ability to be equipped with such munitions, placing the aircraft at Brussels would be seen as an enhancement of the NATO nuclear deterrent in Germany. According to SWR, the decision has sparked new concerns of nuclear conflict and the arrival of more American nuclear weapons in Germany as a result of the Russia-Ukraine war. Germany has spent $18.8 million on construction of a more secure fence at the base, SWR reported, adding that demonstrators were able to climb the previous fence. Almost immediately after Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine on February the 24th, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz announced the allocation of $107 billion to modernise Germany's armed forces. The replacement of the Tornado jets with a fleet of F-35s is a key part of the effort, as the fifth-generation fighters from Lockheed Martin are considered the world's most modern combat aircraft. So there we are. We'll just turn this fan off here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like a turbine it is a turbine honestly this fan is pretty brutal in this uh in this studio no that's um that's hold on let me just scroll back up to where we were f-35s noisy gray stuff but jonathan warner loves them although i notice he's not in the uh, chat room this week when he normally is no he's not in there any thoughts on that story uh matt i know you're you're more of a commercial man yourself but um you're not off to react this year I'm not, no. I have been once before to Riyadh when I was in the Ecadets. We went along. Um, yeah. Have you been to Riyadh yet, actually, um, Peter? Um, no, no, I haven't. Um, that's a long time ago, last time I went to... Uh, I mean, I've been to... Years ago, I went to various air shows, but no, I've not been to that one, no. Yeah. I have to add that to the list. <laughs> You'll have to start saving if you want to go, because yeah. it's, not, it's not the cheapest air show to go <laughs> yeah. to in the UK, unfortunately, as most yeah. of our listeners will know. Um, but uh, we've got one more story in the military news uh, to read out, and I've got that for you right here. This one uh, comes to us from the aerotime.aero, and uh, got a love of refueling story. Actually, funnily enough, saw a 135 come over today from... Uh, from the Ukraine. Uh, United States Air Force uh, Boeing KC-46A Pegasus refueled a CB-22 Osprey tilt rotor aircraft belonging to the Air Force Special Operations Command for the first time. I thought that had already happened. Uh, the milestone was announced by the US Air Force's 27th Special Operations Wing on the 9th of June. Uh, the mission took place over Cannon Air Force Base in New Mexico on June the 1st, 2022. The CB-22 Osprey tilt rotor aircraft and its crew belonged to the 20th Special Operations Squadron, while the KC-46A was from the 349th Air Refueling Squadron. Uh, the refueling was carried out using the C-46A's centerline drogue system. Uh, this capability allows the KC-46 to refuel the Osprey and other drogue-capable uh, uh, compatible receiver aircraft without any modifications, said Major Benjamin Chase, the KC-46 aircraft commander. He said this importance enables flexibility in missions, planning and limits the amount of maintenance it takes to prepare for air refueling, especially compared to most aircraft in the legacy fleet tanker uh, fleet. The Boeing CV-22 Osprey is a tilt-rotor aircraft capable of 30 
vertical takeoffs, as we all know. I mean, Armando knows all the things about those. With the ability to hover like a helicopter. Uh, once airborne, the engines can rotate through 90 degrees, effectively turning the aircraft into a long-range, high-speed turboprop. Uh, the CV-22 is specifically designed for long-range missions, and when you add on top of that an aerial refueling capability, you can extend that distance to the point where you're only limited by how long the crew is able to fly, said Major Anthony Belviso, the CV-22 aircraft commander. Uh, the KC-46 can get enough fuel to get multiple CV-22s that much further um, both into and out of combat. The KC-46 Pegasus was intended to replace the KC-135 Stratotankers and KC-10 Extenders and reinforce the overstretch refueling capabilities of the US Air Force. But the aircraft encountered multiple technical problems since its first delivery back in January the 10th, 2019. Uh, after most of its intended missions were suspended, the KC-46A was eventually cleared to conduct everyday refueling missions from its centre-line drogue system on July the 9th, 2021. Uh, the US Air Force Air Mobility Command has been progressively expanding the capabilities of its new aircraft. Actually, Peter, we're quite lucky here where we live in the east of England Absolutely. because we, we tend to get um, most of the traffic that's going into Mildenhall uh, flying right over uh, Beckles and Bungie mm. where, we, uh, where we live here, um, especially mm. the 135s and loads of 135s going over. Yeah. Uh, the tankers yeah. c17 the other day came yeah. over um yeah. plus loads of other stuff we are very lucky indeed where we live here yes there's a lot of unrestricted airspace i say unrestricted largely up to about something like sixteen thousand feet and you've got lake and east training areas out sort of off the east coast and then up to the wash uh, and of course being on the east coast stretching back to the history of world war ii being predominantly flat although suffolk's more undulating a lot of it, obviously, air, airfields that were established here. And, uh, yeah, it's a real treat. And um, very, very occasionally, if you're on a walk somewhere, uh, you, you, out of nowhere, something low and fast will go past. Only only the once, though. But, yeah, we see a lot around here. I think it's really great. Actually, it begs a question, Peter. Mm. I've never asked you this, but yeah. do you ever work on um, military aircraft engines? Or can no. you not say? <laughs> um i'd have to shoot you okay um, fair but, enough uh, <laughs> no um no um i'm just thinking really i mean obviously we've done helicopters and things but um it's mainly commercial i mean the military obviously they look after their their own aircraft and one of my colleagues is is ex uh, military um so they tend to you know do their own thing really um a completely different set of uh, sort of regulations and so on so, um, yeah, no, that's, it's just largely commercial we deal with. I, I can imagine your face if one day you got asked by by your, oh. you know, your boss, oh, Peter, could you go out and uh, check the engines on this fleet of B-52s? Ah, oh, yeah, there's a lot of engines. <laughs> that's a lot. Of, that's, that's a lot. That's, that's how many weeks do you want me to stay there? So I'll put a tent underneath the aircraft, yeah. Uh, mixed blessing, I think. Yeah, yeah, but um, but an important job you do, though, Peter. I will say, oh, an yeah, important job you do. Good. And for those of you who were at the four hundredth, you'll know exactly what Peter does because he gave a really good talk on it. And if you haven't uh, seen it yet, you can go back on our YouTube um, 
page on our history and watch the uh, 400 show on there where Peter gives a very in-depth talk on the job that he does with boroscopic inspections on engines and all all the other fantastic things that he does uh, with uh, aircraft mm. engines. So, yeah, check that out on there. Uh, now, earlier on on the commercial segment, we uh, we missed a story out. I was so, so flustered and hot sitting in here because it is still 30.6 degrees Celsius in his studio in here. Um, but we missed a story out. Now, Peter, you've, uh, you've, got, you've got this story to read, and it's um, from One Mile at a Time about... This is amazing. I mean, you, those of you who watch the show will know that I've got an office at home filled with <clears throat> various pieces of aircraft. But, uh, Peter, this is uh, something I think uh, that y- you would... Uh, I think you would, you'd love well, this. Yeah, so um, Delta Amex made from retired boeing 747 so something you can uh, have in the wallet there which is direct from uh, the aircraft so delta and american express issue several co-branded credit cards and for a limited time the most premium card or premium in the portfolio is getting a special design specifically amex and delta have teamed up to offer a credit card made from a retired Delta Boeing 747. Wow. The card is created with 25% metal from the retired Delta Boeing 747 with the tail number 6307. This is available to those uh, with the Delta Sky Miles Reserve American Express card between uh, June the 16th and August the 3rd, 2022, while supplies last. Those who apply for the card now have the option of requesting this card design. Very smart. Existing card members can request this card design either by phone or online. If you want to make the request online, <clears throat> go to account services and then replace card. And you should see this option listed. This particular plane was in service for over 27 years, operating over 14,000 flights, spent over 116,000 hours in the air and flew around 68 million miles and carried more than 4 million passengers. So there you go. Something interesting to add to the wallet. <laughs> or add to my, uh, my collection at home. Yeah. I love this idea. Pieces. It is yeah. good, isn't it, Matt? I, I mean, I... The only thing that disappoints me is it's made with 25%. So is it melted down and then mixed <laughs> with other metal? Because that's not the same as, you know, you can buy those mm. plane tags. Uh, if it was like that, an actual piece of the fuselage, but uh, I don't know. That would be potentially a bit disappointing. But I love the idea. I love it. Mm. Actually, mm. on the note of uh, of the tags, you've just reminded me. Actually, um, a few episodes back, we had the guys from Doors to Manual on the show. Do you remember we had those guys on from Doors to Manual who um, yeah who broke who, who um, got the bits off the TriStars and the VC10 over at Brunt? Because they broke your balance, bank balance. Broke my bank. <laughs> yes, they did. They did. Uh, um, um, what should I say? Tarnish the air slightly in the house for a few days at home. Um, but uh, on that note, actually, um, the guys very kindly gave us a, promo- a promotional code uh, to use on their website. And if you haven't already used it, it is still uh, valid for you to use. So if you are um, thinking of getting yourself, I've just noticed actually looking on here, they've got um, some tags now from a Royal Air Force A400M, the Atlas A400M. Uh, ZM403. Um, the code still works if you want to get 15% off. 
uh, just use the code and just type it in in capital letters plain talking 15 that's plain talking 15 p-l-a-n-e talking 15 and uh, that code still works on there and you can grab yourself uh, a little dis a little cheeky discount on some bits on there um i know quite a few of uh, of the community the ptuk community have been uh, treating themselves to various parts and i i totally accept no responsibility at all for any um things that happen at uh, at home when uh, when the wives find out uh, or husbands uh, but uh, yeah um have you had a look on the website yourself matt i have yes yeah there's there's lots of uh, i shouldn't really come on here it's just too dangerous <laughs> <laughs> have you have you seen the uh i suppose you have seen the website uh peter they got goodie um, bags now yeah as well. I've, yeah i've seen it and i've also you know traveled around and there's quite a lot of places that are doing you know things like this, spare parts you know and like that oh, oh look soon. at that it's been here for, for, oh. for far too long oh that i'll tell you where that would look nice peter who can who can guess in, what that is in the chat? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just keep clean, please. Um, is, yeah. is that divorce proceedings? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'll bring that round at some point. But uh, there's a number of people, scra- you know, scrapping aircraft, and um, you know, if I had a lorry, oh man, I'd just go and fill it up with all the stuff, bring it back here. You know, so the front ends of cockpits as well. I think there's a company in Wales selling. Mm front end of an a320 if you can squeeze it in your garage and um and i saw a coffee table i don't know if i sent it you carlos you know with the yeah. quadrant for the a340 yeah. on it and the engine start amazing <laughs> there's there's, uh, there's a, i know that i think the guys over at the plane reclaimers again we had those guys on the show a while back i think they they do um they do cut off half cut off top sections to make into mm. like a shed at home so you've yeah. got the bank of windows and then the curved section, a bit like a sort of Nissan hut kind of thing. Um, yeah. And you can, you can get those delivered and turn those into a shed. I mean, if I, honestly, if I had the room, yeah. how much trouble I would get in. There's the Airbnb, isn't there as well? You can stay yeah. in a 74 yeah. or an Airbus or whatever. So. Yeah. <laughs> we, we could, we could, we, oh, we could go on forever here, spend the money yeah. in our virtual heads. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, the code still works, um, guys and girls. If you're watching and listening, so uh, get yourselves over there and uh, grab yourselves a little cheeky bargain. I did uh, I, I did grab myself, as you know, I grabbed myself a TriStar window. But I also grabbed a tag as well, which is quite good uh, to go with off the aircraft, which is also really good. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those things that if you are an aviation enthusiast and you've got the space and you've got a few quid land behind the back of the sofa, there's just so much choice. Mm. so much choice endless possibilities what's your next purchase going to be matt anything um airbus related it's endless isn't it i don't know (laughs) he's looking now i can see (laughs) you can almost see in his eyes the screen yeah Yeah. i think some of the little um either rotors or stators from engine parts are quite cool aren't they um i've got a couple of tags actually i've got um, a dc3 tag which is one of my favourite aeroplanes, and I've got a three twenty one as well. So, uh, oh, very so, yeah. good, very good. So, I suppose we better start to wrap up the show, really, haven't we? Uh, let's have a look at uh, the social media links. Actually, before before we do the social media links, actually, I have a spot of news. I'm just going to 
pull up on front of me here so I know uh, what's going on. So, one for your diaries. If you are in uh, our neck of the woods here in the east of Anglia, east of England, east of Anglia, east Anglia region, uh, remember a few years back we had a flying meet up at Seething Airfield. Uh, that's Echo Golf Sierra Juliet, E-G-S-J. Uh, now, the guys there at Seething are having a fly-in, a summer fly-in there. This is happening on the 3rd of July this year, on the Sunday, the 3rd of July. Uh, me and Nev are going to be there. We're going to be there with the uh, with Nev's muff and the camera. Um, we're going to be wandering around chatting to various people. There. It's, it's going to be quite a big day. Hopefully, the weather will be like it's been today, which will be well, it'd be fantastic. Uh, but they're going to have uh, a summer fly and Anyone who wants to fly in can fly in. You just need to contact uh, the airfield for more information. What I'll do, uh, if you are listening to this as an audio podcast, I'll put the information on our Facebook page of social media so you can see that this, uh, what date this is on and the day. And uh, as I said, uh, the airfield, uh, will, if, you, if you donate a small £10 donation to the airfield, they'll cover your landing fee and lunch, which is seven pounds per person uh, you can also visit the airfield museum free of charge on that day there is local b&b's available if required uh, but like i said i'll put the information on our social media page for you to see so that's sunday the 3rd of july uh, 2022 at seething airfield so if you can fly in or drive in it'd be great to see you we will uh, we'll the half of the team will hopefully be there at least to see you so there we go so peter you're going to come see us oh yeah absolutely Oh, wouldn't miss it for the world. There we go. You can meet Peter. If you haven't already <laughs> met Peter, you can come and meet the, the star himself, Peter Collins. There oh. you go. And hopefully Matt will get a day off work and he'll come over as well. And see yeah. Us all. If you fly in, just don't be scared if you see Peter just lifting the cowlings up on your aircraft, stop prodding around <laughs> in it. <laughs> Oh, social media links then. Social media. Where can you find us on the old social media platforms? So Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Search for us on there, Plain Talking UK. Our WhatsApp number is plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. If you want to send us a picture in, you can send us a picture in or audio feedback because we'd love to have some audio feedback on the show. Uh, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel? You can get notifications when we go live. You can help uh, shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the YouTube chat room. Just go over to youtube.com, search for Plain Talking UK. And on our website as well, you'll find the Amazon link if you do your shopping on Amazon. Just click on the link, do your shopping via Amazon. Doesn't cost you a penny, but does give us a little referral fee every now and again, which is quite good. And also the links are on our Facebook uh, what, website as well for the shop. If you haven't already purchased yourself one of our fine PTUK t-shirts and also one of the mugs as well, you can find those on there, along with links on how to become a patron of the show and a PayPal donator on the show. If, you wanna, if you've got a, fair, a spare few shekels, pounds, pence dollars shillings anything really behind the sofa um you can send them via patreon and paypal we really would appreciate that so that is about all we have got time for on the show this week episode 415 gonna say a massive thanks first to matt for joining us on the show tonight so thanks matt for uh, for coming on tonight's show it's been good great to have you on as always no worries absolute pleasure as always 
And uh, also to you, Peter. Thank you, Peter. An absolute pleasure as well as always. And I hope to see you very soon with a Pito tube. <laughs> <laughs> you know, thanks for having me, guys. Lovely to work with all of you. Excellent. So uh, a quick, have we got time for a quick round, Robin? We have, what are you up to next week, Matt? Um, what am I doing? Flying, basically. That's full, full schedule. I'm off to Ibiza tomorrow. I did Tel Aviv yesterday. Uh, we have a rest day after Tel Aviv, so I was off today. Um, yeah, just busy, busy. More of the same, which is good. Excellent. Peter, I'm going to guess you're going to be in 14 different European airports next week. <clears throat> Probably a bit of boroscope training. <laughs> possibly a little bit of hard landing checks. There's been a few of those knocking around and maybe a bit of DIY. Oh. But I don't know. <laughs> I like that. And you can come around and see me for a beer. Of absolutely excellent <laughs> so that's it then guys and girls thanks to everyone for joining us tonight and a big thanks to all our audio downloaders of the show as well thank you to you all and we'll hopefully hopefully fingers crossed touch wood everything else crossed we'll have all the team back next friday on the show so from me carlos here actually in the ptuk studios and from peter and from matt have a great weekend enjoy the sun and we'll see you next friday goodbye everyone Bye. Bye. You know what? If anyone ever says Matt does nothing on this show, I'll poke them with a very sharp <laughs> prodding pito stick tube. and a pito tube and everything else that's pointy in this in this thing. Because honestly, doing this in here on my own, and bear in mind, I have actually had John doing a vast amount of stuff in the background tonight via via the realms of the interweb. It is. Blooming hard work, especially yeah, well when it's done. hot.